Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, everybody, and thank you for joining us here tonight for King Jordan Radio Live. The date is Thursday, October 18th, 2018, Season 7, Episode 2, this is. So tonight we'll be talking... What is life like for Mr. Uh, Shamed uh, Comedian, Bill Cosby? We'll get into that with our guest. We'll talk about the charges, um, how he's living, and whatnot with that. We'll talk about this uh, very public murder that happened in the state of Colorado by a fellow by the name of Chris Watts, um, which is trending everywhere. Now, it's been a year uh, since the Me Too movement was uh, was addressed, at least by um, some stars. Um, we'll talk to our guests about that. And uh, speaking of our guest... Um, we are honored and privileged to bring in, to bring back, she's a New York Times bestseller. Um, she wrote, uh, dozens and dozens of wonderful books, um, such as the Michael Jackson, um, book, which we'll get into, uh, here, uh, Michael, actually. Uh, she covered gigantic cases, uh, i.e. Scott Peterson. Sandusky, Casey Anthony, Jody Arias. And one thing about uh, our guest is she is a workaholic. She didn't get her name just by sitting around. Let's bring back into the program one of my best friends here in this business, the one and only Aphrodite Jones. Good evening, Aphrodite. How are you? I'm good, Jordan. Thanks for having me on. Well, uh, it's a pleasure. As I mentioned before, uh, you are a workaholic, and uh, you didn't get there by sitting on your uh, your butt. You worked your ass off to get where you are, and uh, you're still in the game. And uh, I want to congratulate you on uh, doing such a good job throughout your, your career. Thank you. Uh, it's you know what? It's a passion. It's a calling. It's something that's part of my life, and. You know, it's it's really what I've done and been doing for 30 years is dealing in the world of true crime and trying to sort out truth from fiction, which is not always so easy to do, as we all know. I think when I wrote my book on Michael Jackson conspiracy, um, I think back to that time in 2006 when I wrote that, which is now 12 years ago. 12 years ago, I was alone on a cliff attacking the entire media with that book, right? showing how the media was dishonest about what went on in that trial and because it was there were no cameras in the courtroom you know there was no way to prove it and no one bothered to correct the record which is why I wrote that book um you know at the time I thought my career would be over because I was going after everybody in the media um now of course we have social media we have some checks and balances on it however uh it seems like things have gotten more and more polarized and 
you know, it's harder than ever to tell what the truth is. It's very, you know, I mean, obviously you can read a lot of things and go to a lot of sources and figure out between the lines what you believe the truth is. However, most people, I'm afraid, want to believe what they want to believe, and there are news outlets to allow them to believe that, and hence they're not getting uh, the full story or the other side of the story. They're just getting what they want to get, you know, and I don't know that that's healthy for uh, us as a country. I don't I don't know that it's um it's a good turn of events but when it comes to crimes at least you know one thing is certain and that is not sex crimes no but murder you know at least there's an answer there's an end usually um now in the case of Bill Cosby I believed that he was going to be convicted that's why I went to his trial I believed that right, you covered the trial yeah I, I wholeheartedly believed that he was going to be convicted, and I wanted to see for myself those female victims speak, and I went, witnessed all of their testimony. And at the time, even though others were predicting that he would walk away, having seen those women in their, um, in their complete honesty and in their vulnerability as they stood on the, sat on the stand before Bill Cosby and, every, and God and everyone else, I have to say that there was no way that you didn't believe them. And, you right. know, the, the, you know, one after the other came up with their own individual stories, which had similarities but also had very big differences in that what age they were or what the circumstances were around what happened to them. But at the end of the day, the same thing happened to them, which is that they were somehow drugged and they found themselves either immobilized, incapable, or knocked out cold and later realized they were sexually violated. So, you know, it's, um, I, I, it was very, it was very hard to watch, especially when you saw these women saying things like, no one would have believed me. He was Bill Cosby. I was nobody. And these are women who clearly fell without, you know, not within the statute of limitations, but you understood too that Andrew Constand also never said anything about Bill Cosby initially to her parents or anyone else. And it took a few years before she um, revealed that this had happened to her and then many more years for this to become, you know, a public case. So, um, But let me ask you from this standpoint, whether you like Bill Cosby, whether you think he did it or not, from another point of view, a mm -hmm. lot of people on my show, including Tom Messer, felt this was a politically based uh trial. The uh the guy who tried him, um, the DA, the prosecutor, mm -hmm. he went on T V, said words to the effect, if you vote for me, I will get Bill Cosby. There wasn't an arrangement in two thousand five if he signed some stuff and uh he admitted some things and paid off uh, Andrea Constant that he wouldn't be taken to trial. Mm -hmm. And in this retrial, they added uh, four or five extra additional accusers, which didn't have in the original trial. Um, a lot of uh, people said that was unfair and that will go to his, uh, what do they call that? The uh, uh, mistrial or a, something like that. Yeah. And, uh, 
But um, appeal. you know, ultimately, uh, you have yeah. an eighty-one-year-old guy. Couldn't the judge just take it for what it is and say, you know what, this guy has done wrong. Let's give him house arrest uh, for whatever, how long he wants to do it. I know he's Bill Cosby, and it's probably not sending the greatest message to do that. But at the end of the day, uh, they were the ones that took so long to not get him, uh, quote-unquote. And uh, look, if he couldn't get out of his house, you know, most of the day, uh, don't you think that would be some just uh, for the victims? Or you feel totally strong in the way it happened? No, I feel I don't feel that there would have been any justice for the victims if he was allowed to stay in his mansion while, um, you know, waltzing around and being served by however many people he can afford, which is many, and, you know, finding then excuses to be able to, you know, leave for doctor's visits and whatever, whatever. It's, in essence, um, you know, not any punishment at all to me to be on house arrest. It's some very light form. It's a slap on the wrist, and he didn't deserve just a slap on the wrist. This is a man who is a sexual predator for many, many decades, and this was attested to by the various witnesses who came forward and actually went through. One was 17 when it happened. One was all these different ages, and you saw all the different stages and phases in which Cosby did this, violated women, and was able to get away with it because he was the most powerful man in television. He was, in his mind, what NBC meant in the 80s, and it carried forward throughout his life as a, as an entertainer. Um, you know, and and he found a way to take full advantage of that. Um, I think, frankly. Um, And I understand what Mesereau is saying in terms of this being a politically motivated trial, because that's true. And and I know the Mm -hmm. DA made an announcement and and ran on the idea that he would retry Bill Cosby. So that's true. But here's the thing. Politically motivated or not doesn't change what Bill Cosby did to these women all these decades. It really doesn't matter. But he was only – this trial, he was only being charged for did he or did he not to Mrs. Constant. So he paraded around five women that had nothing to do with that. And well, it many does observers have something to say, do, but it does have something to do with it, Jordan, because it, it goes to pattern of behavior. And these women were five out of 28, I believe, that were all ready and willing to testify about what really happened to them. And there are many more besides that, but there were 28 that had, you know, uh, uh, verifiable stories. Let's put it that way. Uh, verifiable yeah, they're in very the sense similar. that, that no, I mean verifiable in the it. sense that there was a friend present, or that you know they ran home to a parent, or whatever it was. They didn't just happen right. in a vacuum. People saw them. People were there. People had, you know, there were there were um, two of the women were workers at. Um, um, Harris, one at Reno and one I think in Lake Tahoe. Um, you know those those workers. One ran a bar. One was I think a waitress. Whatever it was, they uh, you know they were seen with Cosby. They knew you know people knew that they had gone off with Cosby. And of course, uh, you know Cosby was able to 
hush people into silence. There was one woman there who didn't testify, who was a, a you know a stalwart uh, trial watcher, and she clearly was a victim. And and um, it turned out that she was an extra on the Cosby Show, and he said to her something to the effect of, you know, I'll make you, I'll I'll kill your career, you know, I'll make you disappear, like you're nobody. And I believe that right. happened. I believe that no, happened believe a thousand percent. You know. I definitely um, believe all these people. The I thing mean, is the, though when you have when you're the jury and the, the uh prosecution asks you to find Bill Cosby guilty of this person when the other people are testifying, isn't it mm-hmm. when you're sitting and watching these other people break down, doesn't it seem yes it's a pattern, but they were never charged. Uh, he was never charged to those five additional people. Mm-hmm. So, well, well you I know, feel... it, can, it can be, it can become a, a question on appeal. Certainly, it will be. I know that. Um, and whether or not it was was prudent or allowable to have these other women will be a matter for a higher court to de- determine. I know that in, for example, the case of Phil Spector, which I covered, right. Yes, that absolutely. in order to prove that he murdered Lana Clarkson, right, they brought... This was uh, 2009-ish, right? Uh, 2009 and, then, and 10, I believe. The retrial. And, that was the retrial. On yeah, that. the retrial. It was 2009. I think you're right. Um, mm-hmm. he, he In that trial, and I was there at the retrial, um, that, that uh, you know, women were, came forward who were had been... Uh, one of them was Joan Rivers' manager. One of them was... You know, various women that he had quote unquote met or dated or whatever it was. Most of them were one one shot deals, but others were women that he actually spent time with and had um, threatened and had uh, physically um, violated, abused not 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 uh, not by hitting them, but had. Physically, you know, held guns to their head. Okay, you know, made one yeah, woman. I think. To, right. Yeah, I mean, he made one woman. I, I don't know, do something crazy in the bathroom. You know, had a gun there. I mean, there, there were there were multiple instances of Specter using guns and threats of violence to various women, which went to what it was he did with Lana Clarkson. And in particular, what it was was when the woman decided she didn't want Spectre, this is when the violent and threat, violence and threats started. So there was a moment that was a, a part of that puzzle in which Lana Clarkson went to his mansion with him in Alhambra, and, and she wanted to leave. And that is when Spectre decided, no, you're not leaving, and he started with the gun and ultimately killed her. Now, if you didn't have the other women testifying at that criminal trial, then you're you're uh, lessening the potential for the jury to see through all of the smoke and mirrors between defense and prosecution, which is a game that's played in the courtroom. And right. you know, so it, it's it becomes harder and harder for prosecution to actually win a case. And they already went through it for the first trial with Phil Spector, for example, as they did for the first trial with Bill Cosby. And they knew jurors were close with Cosby and perhaps close with Spector in that there were only a couple people who were on the fence and not, not convinced. 
unfortunately, we live in a world today where if you don't have video evidence of what happened, you don't believe it. You want to have proof positive that something happened. You're not able anymore to put together the pieces and say, gee, you know, A plus B equals C. No, 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 no. You can't do that anymore, even though that's what's required of a jury. So prosecution, you know, witnesses are brought forward to fortify a case. And in, in the case of Spectre and in the case of Cosby, it was the same thing. It was pattern of behavior. It's not... It's not unheard of. It's it's very common, frankly, and I'm just using two celebrity cases to make the point. But the fact of the matter is, both of these men, you know, are are criminals, and they have been judged as such. They have been sentenced as such, and they've been punished as such. And I'm sorry to say it about Bill Cosby, because frankly, I'm a was a big Bill Cosby fan. I actually went to see him, believe it or not just weeks before the first allegations were made, weeks before. Really? Yes. And I saw him in all his glory, (laughs) and he was phenomenal. And, I mean, I laughed till I hurt, and he was – but yet when I look back on it, I realize the air of arrogance that was underneath the the joking was so great. You know, the the room was whistling so hard for him when he came out – that you couldn't even hear yourself. And he was just right. loving it, but also just like it was it was understood that he was the king of the world, you know, in that moment. And I, I believe that this is how this man has lived for so long, and that's why Camille Cosby, you have to think about her too. Why does she right. support her husband in the face of all this? I'll tell you why. Because she's the queen of television as Mrs. Cosby. So if he goes down, who is she anymore? Nothing. An enabler? Well, like Gary Sandusky's wife, in a way. Yeah, could be. Or either that or, you know, she's, as you say, nothing. You know, she, she, her whole status, her whole life gets boiled down to being with a predator. She doesn't want that. She's enjoyed being a queen her whole life. Everybody's bowing well, and kowtowing to Mrs. Cosby. He admitted to you know, falling around and everything was consensual until she still stayed with him. So even if you get past the, which you really can't get past, the part of the those uh, horrible allegations that are proven in the court of law that he's guilty of, uh, she still stayed with him after 50-plus women said uh, that he did that. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. What was her motivation in terms of... The, did she really forgive and forget, or uh, did she like the No, I don't believe she, she forgave and forgot. You know, I was at the trial, as I say, in Norristown, Pennsylvania, and she was not there. She was not there until the very last day. That's when she decided to appear, when she things looked first, bad for Bill Cosby. You talking okay? about the first trial? No, I'm talking about the second trial where he was convicted. Camille oh, okay. Cosby did not appear in the courtroom. I was in right. the courtroom. She was not there to back her husband until things got very shaky, and she came on the last day. So, so you, you read that to be why uh, wouldn't she that. be there if she's in such support of her husband? He's on trial for his life. He's going to go to prison possibly. Why wouldn't she be there? Where is she? She's too busy. Well, she, I don't think so. But she did have many statements anti 
the judge. I get it. But the fact of the matter is she didn't want to hear these women tell their story. That's what I saw. Okay? She didn't want to hear it because the truth was something is something that she's decided to blank out for many, many years. And I understand that um, in the sense of, you know, she probably did not know. I wouldn't even say she knew as much as Sandusky's wife knew because Sandusky, this thing, stuff happened in the house where Sandusky's wife lived. But it's very easy to turn a blind eye to somebody who you love who, you know, is doing things out of out of your purview. And, uh, you know, I don't know that he had a, she would have had a, ever had an idea that this was happening. But when 30, 40, 50, 60 women come forward and when there's a criminal trial and a retrial, you would think she would be going to that retrial every day to stand for her man. She didn't. Yeah, Donnie Sandusky even went to the trial, if you're going to make a comparison. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, I mean, his uh, PR man, Andrew um, Sutton, said this was uh, racially motivated in the press conference. And I don't see, you know, personally anything that this has to do with race. Do you? No, I don't. I don't see this as having to do with race. I think that, uh, you know, um, this has to do with sex. It has to do with sex and gender and power and being a star and having, uh, you know, that kind of power and wielding it over women. Um, that is not a, exclusive to any race. And it just so happens that Bill Cosby is the one who, in for whatever reason, decided that, you know, sexually violating women also included drugging them, which made it, you know, all the more horrendous and all the more criminal. So he, hence, has been caught in his own web as far as him being older and being partially blind or legally blind or whatever you want to call it. Um, You know, I actually met with some of Bill Cosby's friends, college friends who were there at the trial, and I spent some time with them, uh, buddies of his from college days, and they were very, you know, adamant that Bill was the greatest guy in the world, that he could have any woman that he wanted, that women, when he first started his career, you know, he was so, he'd come home and he'd be so thin and tired and they'd say, what's wrong with you? And he'd say, I can't keep the women off me, which I found to be interesting and and kind of fun. Um, so their their mentality was, if this is his life, which it had been, and he was the star of the world, you know, to them and everyone else, then why in the world would he need or want to go after any woman? He could have anyone he wanted. And, you know, that's a great a great point. So they yeah. completely believed that, you know, he was being framed and that these women were lying and making it up. Um, the problem with that is that, you know, clearly what Cosby wanted was dominance over a woman. It wasn't about the per se sex, I think, as much as it was about the dominance and the violation. So, you know, the power. So, you know, uh, when you put all that together, you really, you know, you you have another version of Harvey Weinstein, only worse. 
And, you know, Weinstein's certainly not out of the woods with criminal uh, prosecution either, although I think most recently they've been able to disqualify a key witness and he may be able to, to strut around a little longer. But we look at, you know, when you ask about the Me Too movement, you know, when this trial was brought um, over a year ago for the first time, there was no Me Too movement. It only started in October of last year, which I think people tend to not, believe because it seems like it's been forever almost and it isn't it's new and um that's why i went to the retrial because i felt that the me too movement was going to have a bearing on this and on the jury and it did because all of these voices yeah i mean all of these voices have come out of the woodwork on all of these people whether it's bill o'reilly whether it's matt lauer whether it's uh, you know, I mean, we can go on and on with the list of of names. Um, so many names have came out from the well, uh, Me mean, Too movement. Yeah, they have. But, you know, obviously Weinstein. And you work and, personally with uh, somebody. Uh, well, one I know, Bill Ro- Bill O'Reilly. What's yeah, your opinion on that? Well, you know, O'Reilly Which, was um, was uh, charged with this sexual harassment by a producer back in the time that I was working with him. And I actually worked with that producer and ultimately mm-hmm. he paid off $9 million to her mm. and he got on camera and he said, this was the most evil thing that was happening to him. And and at those, in those days there was a thing called the smoking gun. I'm sure you remember it. It was a court TV yeah. website and they printed yep. the entire transcripts of the tape conversations she had with him in which he was suggesting that she use a loofah in the shower and, People used to tease me for days about what a pervert he was and that, you know, I should get a loofah. And, you know, I would kind of smirk at the time because I couldn't be sure that this woman wasn't making it up or that she wasn't baiting him on the phone. It was not clear. Right. However, when all everything hit the fan, you know, more recently, and it came to be that he paid Lee's wheel $32 million dollars. $32 million. You talk about people that point the finger at MJ for paying off Jordy Chandler. What about this? Not to mention, I worked yeah. at Lee's Wheel. I commentated with her for, for months on the Scott Peterson thing. She was not a favorite of Fox News. She was not a, a, a somebody that fit the profile of the, you know, the, the, the Playboy Bunny look of Fox News, if you will. Um, uh-huh. And so... Why was she there? How did she manage to have this regular spot with O'Reilly? Well, now we probably can guess. Right, and, right. you know, I mean, for me, I was working with him from California. So I did I did go into the studio with him a number of times. I did actually meet with him in his office at one point with my manager present. And he mm-hmm. did nothing besides basically dismiss me as in a very um, – Oh, what do you want to call that? Misogynistic way, which he was that way on camera with me as well. You know, basically, yes. you don't know what you're talking about. This and that. He he got less so in his latter years, but he was very much that way back in time when I was there. And and um, so I mean, he you know he was not. He certainly wasn't showing any interest. I was living in California. There was nothing going to happen. And I really didn't, honestly, didn't understand that it was true about the first accuser. Until, although I thought paying $9 million was pretty significant, but then again, if somebody's blackmailing you, as he claimed, 
you know, and you're making that much money, you'd pay it, perhaps. Right. But when the second thing came out about Lee's wheel, then I knew. I knew that it was, in my mind, it was a confirmation of, of what, you know, and the fact that, that Fox got rid of him and, and, and Roger Ailes and the whole bit. You know, he was another one who I'd met, who I, you know, I already a had in my heart. A lot of people to the Fox. You know, well, it's not just no. It's not a lot of people on Fox. I wouldn't say that. No, 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 no. I would say Roger Ailes certainly, and and Bill O'Reilly. We, you know, you know, we we have a lot of questions about when it comes to that abuse of power, if you want to call it. But um, yeah, you know, Ailes went down disgraced, and and he wound up dying. I think it killed him. And O'Reilly, you know, I don't know where he stands today. He's got some radio program going on, but I'm sure it's, um, you know, nothing like what he was and the power that he had as the big, you know, the big cheese at Fox. And I can't imagine that he's anything but miserable. He seemed to be uh, pretty arrogant, uh, a lot of people would describe uh, Mr. Barley. Totally. (laughs) Totally. But you always like toughened up to him. Uh, the you know when you were taking the cases, you were very. Yeah, because you know what? I remember strong. he told me about Michael Jackson when I was covering that trial. He said, "I said, you know, this is like Elvis," and he said, "You can't compare Michael Jackson to Elvis. There's no comparison." And I was thinking to myself, "You're right, because Michael Jackson is known around the world." I think I said it. I'm not sure how much time I had on camera. Uh, you know, and I couldn't it. spar with him too much. But what I wanted to say was, yeah, and Elvis Presley doesn't have that kind of worldwide following. Never did. Not like Michael Jackson. Right. Michael all but, over the know, world. In his mind, you know, Michael Jackson was, he literally was downing Michael Jackson when I made that comparison. Mm. Like he joked about it. He scoffed at me like I was a jerk. And I was thinking, you know, you're the jerk. How could you even say that? So, you know, I mean. <laughs> that is re- realistic. You just will have to look at the numbers and the tour dates and whatnot where Michael had performed, Japan. But uh, he didn't care about Bahrain. that. He just wanted to make Michael look bad because he was already on the, on the on the road with, you know, the rest of the media, which was, you know, let's give guilty, Michael guilty, Jackson guilty. the media lynching. Absolutely. It's unreal. So this is Alyssa Milano um, reflecting one year ago. Let's take a listen. I want to get your thoughts on the other side. Let's turn to the uh, Me Too movement. It was exactly one year ago today that actress Alyssa Milano sent out the tweet that helped ignite a firestorm. She will join us live in a moment. But first, a look at how Me Too has grown since that tweet seen around the world. It's now a year since the hashtag MeToo went viral, a movement that gained momentum after this tweet from actress Alyssa Milano, encouraging women who have been sexually harassed or assaulted to speak out, the hashtag being used more than 19 million times, the conversation about a typically taboo topic sweeping the nation, ultimately uprooting many in high-powered positions. But MeToo actually traces its origins back a decade, when activist Tarana Burke created it to help sexual assault survivors survivors in underprivileged communities. To be able to say something as simple as Me Too, but have it be as impactful as it is, to add to this choir of voices also saying it, that's how you build community. And community is important in healing. And it has been a year. It's great to have Alyssa Milano here with us. Good morning. 
one year ago today you sent that tweet out. And I was just looking at it this morning. It's a simple tweet. You just reminded us what what Me Too really is and was in that movement. Yeah, I mean, my whole philosophy was if I could put it out there and people didn't have to tell their stories or name their predators, but just to stand in solidarity so we could get a real good glimpse of, of the numbers. But I, I never expected, obviously, by the time I woke up seven hours later that 53,000 people would have replied. And so. here we are a year later who would have ever imagined all of the things that have happened in this past year. Where do you think we are? Where, where is the movement? Well, I think we've come a long way, obviously. I think as, as women, we're not only speaking out and using our voices, but also standing in solidarity with each other, which I think is the most beautiful thing. Um, but I think we still have a long way to go. I think that we're really teaching these lessons to children way too late. We're teaching them in high school. And to me, these lessons of acceptance and equality, we have to teach them at a much younger age for it to really just be part of who they are. Um, and then to expect them to act uh, with respect and mutual respect in college, um, I think is too late. And then, and then people go into these jobs right out of college and you still have that sort of fraternity sorority sort of mentality and there's no there's no bridge to that so to me it's all about education and legislation one of the key moments i think when we look back at this past year will be the brett kavanaugh confirmation hearing we all saw you right there in the room as yes the i was, was there with tarana burke yeah who started the me too movement you what know was it 10 like years being ago in there? Um, it was intense, and I, I really ran the gamut of emotions uh, sitting in there. But even more intense was the day before I went to the Senate Hart Building with sexual assault survivors, and we went to all of the Republican uh, senators' offices, and we told our stories um, with their constituents of our sexual abuses, and uh, none of them came out of their office. Mm. So that, to me, was the most heartbreaking moment, but it also made me realize how much more work we have yet to do. One of the arguments that has come out in the wake of that, we hear it from the president, we hear it from his family, mm -hmm. is that uh, boys, they, they're concerned about boys. They say boys have I'm been wrongfully accused and that, that stains a person's life. You have a daughter and you have a son. I'm I don't know why their concern isn't that that boys could also be hurt and molested and sexually assaulted. I'm of course concerned for boys, but I'm not concerned for them in the way that I think the president is concerned for men, right? I think that any time something is progressing in a direction that might um, leave the power uh, away or lead the power away from sort of the white man, um, they like to use fear tactics. And the way in which to do that is to say, you know, I think men have it very hard right now. And women have had it hard for generations. And there are going to be false claims, but we have to define what that process looks like of investigation, of giving everyone a fair shot. Um, because, you know, it's only two to, two to 8% that are falsely accused, and then only 70 to 80% of women come forward with their sexual abuses. Yep. So this is, all, this is all gray area, new territory that we've never faced before. And really, we're defining boundaries right now. And we've covered a lot of ground in this last year, and you've got a long ways to go. Yes. Thank you for Thank being you. here with us this morning. Thank you Always for having me. Thank you. you. Well, hey there, GMA fans. Okay, Aphrodite, uh, hearing uh, Alyssa Milano and uh, the one-year anniversary, what's your thoughts on that? Well, a couple things. One is, you know, I was um, part of a, 
an honor thing for women in television at the Paley Center in Los Angeles last year, and it just so happened the right. day I arrived was the day that the Weinstein story broke. And so the next day when I was at this event filled with everyone from Rita Moreno to Wanda Sykes to, uh, you know, endless names in the business, uh, Lori Grenier, I can go on and on, um, that I was asked on the red carpet by someone at the Daily News whether or not I thought anyone else would be named. And this was so – it just had just broken that Harvey Weinstein was being accused and that that was you know being validated by the next morning and people were you know more voices were coming out and just as i said it to the guy at the daily news that yes i believe there will be others right in that moment there was a news blip about i think it was somebody who worked for amazon in a higher up position who was being named as somebody who was had had some sexual harassment or wrongdoing who's going to be fired from the company and wow. then, of course, the the avalanche started. But it was funny to me to have that moment on the red carpet and know that I was being asked that question with sincerity by male reporters and thinking, like, don't you realize the floodgates are opening? You know, like, yes, that they really didn't know if somebody else would be named. And I'm thinking, are you kidding? Because as women, we've always known that, you know, men have had the power and that we've been, uh, you know, held back from telling any stories of sexual harassment or, or or worse because of fear of being disgraced or not believed or because of the male power structure or the patriarchal society, all of it. And so once the floodgates open, now we have a year later this incredible movement, and yet at the same time, and you know Rita Moreno that night, she was the one of the the head speakers. Um, Betty White was there, being honored, et cetera. She told a story opening up that event. This was in the Beverly Wilshire Hotel in L.A. And she told the story mm. of when she was a girl, and how being at a studio in the days when you know the studio made the star, right? She's I think almost she's in her 80s. And, you know, the studio made the star, and the studio head was after her, after her, after her. And she didn't name the person, but she said, you know, he kept calling and trying to, and she just she just maintained her distance. I don't know how, because, you know, clearly the guy had her career and her life goals in his hands, but she was able to keep keep it away. But she told it in such a way that you understood what kind of pressure she was really being put under at a young age in a time when nobody talked about such things, when, you know, she was powerless to do anything about it. And it was very striking to hear her saying that that night. At the same time, I have to say that if I compare that to being at the Cosby trial, I will tell you that I myself was outside the courthouse interviewing people on the street, which I videotaped, just to get men on the street, women on the street interviews about what people thought about what was going on in the courthouse and whether or not they thought Cosby was guilty or not guilty or whatever. And I interviewed two young women, um, girls, really. They were teens. And 
they both didn't understand. You know, they were hanging around the courthouse, and so I went up and I said, you know, what, what do you think? And they said, well, you know, why would somebody come up with allegations from, from 35 years ago? It just doesn't make any sense. And we're Cosby fans, and we love Bill Cosby, and this couldn't have happened. And why would you talk about it now if it happened 35 years ago? So this was their party line, if you will. And I tried to convince mm-hmm. them and explain to them that, you know, because women 35 years ago, you know, it, it didn't wasn't talked about, and you know, you got to look at what's being in court today. And I tried to reason with them, and they they kind of understood, but they really didn't understand. They felt like somehow this was a show being put on by Gloria Allred and her daughter Lisa Bloom. And I thought, oh boy, you know, what is going to happen in the courtroom? Then I interviewed a man on the street. And he said to me, you know, Bill Cosby isn't going to suffer anything from this. This is the Bill Cosby show. You know, this is – he's not – no one's going to hurt him. He's a star, you know. But yet he, he, this man on the street, told me point blank, of course he did these things. But who cares? Nobody cares. He's Bill Cosby. So that's the, was the mentality of people on the street right there in front of the courthouse in the days before the verdict. All right? So you have to look at both sides of the coin to say, you know, people really didn't know that this was actually going to happen. Cosby is the first case of this actually being a criminal conviction as opposed to just an accusation and somebody losing a job. Me too movement, right? Right, right. And so, you know, again, whether politically motivated or not – Cosby had to pay. He's not paying for the sins of everyone else, by the way. He's paying for his own sins. And, you know, he could, right. he was facing a potential 30 years, not three. So in my mind, he's still got a slap on the wrist. I'm sorry. There are many well, women who would feel that he should be in prison forever. He, he could uh, parole. He could do three. 10, I believe. Or, uh, yeah. Three but I know, I know he won't. But he's I not going to so. admit to any wrongdoing. So I've been told through his no. attorneys that. So uh, he'll, if he's alive, he'll be 91. Uh, he's not going to he be spending. He'll, he'll be out in three years. I'm, I'm, sh- I'm virtually sure of that. But you know, who knows? You don't know. But it, I mean, look, OJ got out. <laughs> you <Yes>. know, <laughs> I mean, you know, there's there there is um consider there are considerations for people who are older and you know with his blindness and whatever, whatever, whatever. The punishment he's suffering right now, though, is is certainly deserved, and many women would argue should be way more than what it is, and that he should at least do all the time, which is 10 years, which never happens in our criminal system these days, people to get out early. But, you know, the other well, side of the coin is this, and the Me Too thing. This, this is what I want to say to you, Jordan. This is important. The other side of the coin is this. While I was outside talking to various people who were Cosby supporters. There were a couple different groups and I was videotaping them. At one point it was on the steps waiting to get into the courthouse. The courthouse wasn't open yet. And there was a woman who I spoke about this extra who, uh, her name is Lily, who didn't know who Evan and who I was, but heard me interviewing these girls about how Cosby was, they were, they were his greatest fans and that they hoped that he was going to be found innocent and that they were sure that this couldn't have happened and that these allegations were way too old. And other people heard this as well, and I was questioned about it later by certain lawyers and people that were overhearing what I was doing on these little interviews. And they thought by the questions I was asking these people that I was a pro-Cosby person. Now, I wasn't. I was just getting the other side. 
I wanted to right. hear what people really thought. Well, and of course, Tom Ezra was there, and people put together that I was talking to Tom Ezra's team or one of Cosby's handlers, and you know, so that so that you know, people who knew about Michael Jackson and the book I wrote automatically put me lumped me into the Cosby camp. And between all of it, I suddenly was lumped into that camp when, in fact, as a woman, I couldn't have been more against that camp. And right. one of the accusers, this woman, this Lily, this extra. I handed her a card, and she handed it back to me and said, I'd really rather not. And I thought, okay, that's that's okay, that's okay, rude. You could have just pretended to take the card, but okay. And then somebody came and ran after me in the ladies' room and said that that woman just told you to go F yourself and stand in the corner. And I said, okay, thank you for letting me know. And I let the bailiff know because that's, you're just not really allowed to scream profanities in a courthouse. But she did it and got away with it. And and the reason I tell this story is because, first of all, I didn't want to go to the sentencing because I wasn't going to face an angry mob of victims who now decided that I'm against women coming out for me, too, because I was asking right. people about the other side, which happened to me. But also because, you know, I, I want to say to people out there that there is an overzealousness in this Me Too movement that is giving people um, – the ability to do something like that, which is to, to designate me, they don't know from Eve, as a as a woman basher, whatever. I don't know what, you know, and tell me to go F myself and, you know, mistreat me as if I, you know, as if I was, you know, really misdirected anger. And, right. you know, that happened to me. That happened to me. So I'm saying it because there are men out there who it's also happening to. Yes. So, you know, in the face of all the greatness of the Me Too movement and the fact that it does have to be dealt with and it does have to be properly channeled and it does have to have more laws and more availability for women to get out there and speak the truth, their truths and, and you know, end this this cycle of violence and predatory behavior toward women in the workplace and elsewhere, you know, it also can go too far. And I'm an example of having it gone too far because it happened to me. And so, well, no question. you know, I, I don't think that happened for no reason. I believe in life everything happens for a reason. So, you know, I experienced it myself personally, and I was shouted out by this, this this woman and another victim that was with her that I later found out, the survivors that they were, they had no idea that I was there and, and really was there rooting that Cosby be so they thought you found were the guilty. Other way. No, they thought I was on this the other woman. side because they saw me say hello to Tom Ezra and that was the end of it. And they heard, overheard, wow. a few people overheard me doing these Man on the Street interviews with these women who were Cosby fans. And in their minds, they de- determined that this is who I was. Between that and the Michael Jackson book, and this is who I was. Well, you know what? They were wrong. And this is the part where I feel very strongly that, you know, you you, you do have to have a little bit of a scale of justice here. Because while it seems ridiculous to say, gee, what are boys going to do? And I, and I don't know that I need to go that one needs to go that far. What boys are going to do or be told by their parents, you don't act inappropriately with young women and you won't have the problem. But what happens when somebody's just angry and just decides to be vicious and decides to set you up 
and therefore disgrace you and ruin your life. I know somebody whose name is Della Sartorius, who I wrote a book about called Della's Web, who had seven husbands, and she did that to all of them. Okay? She used reverse domestic violence and then told the police that the man was hurting her, winding up wow. killing husband, the last husband. And that worked for her, her whole life. So you know what? I, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit I want to put a little bit of grain of salt on the Me Too movement. Just a little bit. I, I, and believe me, I'm all for it. I'm a victim of, of, of sexual predatory behavior myself. Okay? You are. So I will come out with that. I will tell you that it's very hard to come out with. I, you know, my heart bleeds for people like Blasey Ford. I don't know the Did truth of whether or not. Do recently? I, I mean, in the last two no, no, decades? No, 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 no. It mean, happened. No, 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 no. It happened when I was young, in my early 20s, a long time ago. But it's not, it doesn't matter. Okay, yes. Right. It doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. You know, because for women, once this happens, many women are traumatized for life. And, you know, others aren't. I I moved on. Do I, do I know it happened? Do I feel bad about it? Many women feel embarrassed of it and make, blame themselves. I'm one of those who have, have that feeling. I really do blame myself. I feel like I put myself in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, I, I unfortunately became a victim, but I'm not going to let it define my life. It's why I never talked about it, frankly, because I don't want my life right. defined by it. I don't, I never did, and I won't, because I feel that if you allow yourself to dissolve into victimhood, whether you're calling yourself a survivor or a victim or not, if that's what you're living, then that's all you're living. And I'm not, I, I don't, That that's just not something that, that I want to do. I mean, that this, that my purpose in life is to take victims and give them hope and let them see that, you know, forgiveness and moving on is their only, the only light that they're going to have in their life, not perpetuating. So what would you say to somebody that's listening that had it happen to them and they're on the fence <clears> about it, whether it happened five years ago or 15 or 20, what would well, you it all depends on the. I mean, it all say. depends on the circumstances. Let's say, it's in my case. It happened with somebody who I will never see again, who I had worked for a long, long time ago, who I I don't even know if he's alive or dead, and it's not a, it's right. not a public figure. Not in your life anymore. No, I haven't seen in in you know decades. So why in the world would I want to name this person? I mean, what good would it do me? First of all, he would deny it. Second of all, I don't even know if he's alive. Third of all, it would destroy his family, his kids, and whatever, 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 which I, I, I don't know what good it would do. And, 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 and lastly, what does it allow me to get something off my chest? I already know it's still going to be on my chest whether I talk about it or not. It's not like just because people come out that that means that it takes it away. You know, just because right. Matt Lauer lost his job doesn't mean that the woman that he, the women that he, uh, that he violated allegedly – didn't happen, you know. It doesn't take it away. So you, know, you have to weigh no. what it is that you that you want to accomplish by that, which is why they call it Me Too, and which is why you heard Alyssa Milano say there's a lot of women who don't want to name anything. They just want to be able to stand in solidarity and say it happened to me too, and not get into the details. You know. Does um, it help you somewhat to know that all these people came out for various people that there are yes, people? Yes. Did yes. that give you some kind of good feeling? Yes, absolutely, especially in the case of O'Reilly, because, you know, O'Reilly was very 
flippant with me and um, not not in any kind of sexual way at all, but just his attitude right. was really harsh. And he was misogynistic as hell. And when it just so happened that that particular allegation about the loofah and all of that came out while I was working for him on a daily basis out of San Francisco. And I remember thinking to myself, geez, could this man have done this? It seems like he did. And he got on the air and pleaded his case. And I thought, okay, you know, maybe somebody's setting him up. So, you know, years later, when I come to find out that this woman, Lee's Wheel, has paid all this money. Thirty-two million dollars. I mean, I make a joke about it and say, "Geez, I should have been the one molested." <laughs> For thirty-two million dollars, I'll take it. What the hell? I'll have a. Li- Maybe All I right. should have been working in the New York office. It would have been better for me. You know, I mean. <laughs> I mean, thirty-two million dollars is a lot of money. Is a lot. People would do. <laughs> it's a lot of money, and when it's a judgment, I think you get to keep it all. You don't have to pay taxes on it, so that's really a lot of money. But yeah, um, is. <laughs> in honesty, in all honesty, I mean, the truth of the matter is that there's nothing worth losing all your dignity and your self sense of self over. And um, you know, having said that, am I glad that? This came out certainly about all of them. I am about all of them, but um, at the same time, I'm also mortified, you know, because I'm thinking people like Pete Rose really. I mean, this is a guy that I thought was the straightest, narrowest guy in the world. I mean, I believed every word out of his mouth, he was so sincere and wonderful. And you're thinking, how could this be going on behind the scenes? I mean, Weinstein, I met, he was somebody that I could see just looking sideways at him, that he was uh, just horrible. But you know, there's many others that you Matt think Lauer. Oh, this this can't be. Oh, I meant uh, Matt Lauer. I wasn't I wasn't impressed with his his way. Let me put it that way. And it, you know, I uh, again, the problem is, what if somebody is jealous of, I don't know, let's say Anderson Cooper. He's gay, but let's say it doesn't matter. You, you have Kevin Spacey as an example, and suddenly they come out with this allegation that Cooper. You know, molested somebody when they were 15 or whatever it is, like Kevin Spacey. Now, what does Cooper do right. with that? Right. What do you do? Yes, and I feel that way about Scott Bayo because the girl, I don't know if you remember that show, Charles and Charles in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know about the allegation, she, yeah. You know about that, yeah. But there's no links to anything. And through the documents that I saw, that all she did is praise him throughout the years and so it just comes up and you know I'm not saying it's not true I'm just saying I don't know what to do with that in terms right. of well, how that's I the, read that's, that's the point didn't they date weren't they dating or something I don't know it, something like that yeah I think you know in, in cases like that you know uh, when the fire goes down it tells you something about the perhaps the nature of the charge you know um, right. people that have really been violated don't necessarily stop squealing once they've opened those floodgates. So I don't know. You know, I, I, I can't say, you know, only only this woman knows in her heart and Scott Baio knows in his. But, again, that's the point you're making is, you know, people come out, well, look at Michael Jackson, you know, the allegations that were made against him, and he was tried criminally. I mean, he would have died in prison, unlike Cosby. He doesn't have the sta- He didn't have the stamina for that. Oh, no question. Okay. And uh, so, a lot of people I mean, said – if it happened now, and he was alive now with the Me Too era, there'd be a lot of 
pressure on him. Oh, my goodness, it would have been it could have been a whole different outcome, no question. Right. There was no but, me too. There was nothing like that in 2005, 2004. Right. right. You know, but, I mean, um, but you know, you think about the allegations of the accusers in that case. They were false. They were made up. Yes. They were trumped up for money. And nobody wanted to, to, to touch a, that. Uh, the prosecutor, no question, uh, had something against Michael. Uh, yeah. Definitely wanted to charge I, I want to talk about that a little bit because I think you looked at the two videos attached to my updated book. Did you watch That's them? That's on com. yes, with Martin Bashir and the uh, the other one. Mm-hmm. And Michael. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, well, first of all, you still have the ebook, right? Available. Yeah, I I released a special edition in June, around Michael's birthday, that has uh, all now color pictures. They're all color pictures rather than black and white pictures. Pictures that were destroyed. They were all evidentiary pictures, and after the case was over, because Michael was acquitted the court actually destroyed them. I went back in 2010 to do an episode about that case, and the uh, court clerk says, we don't have any more photos. I happen to have gotten those photos in order to write my book, but they don't exist anymore, so I put them out in color for the fans. And uh, I also, in that book, and I I also wrote an afterward. What's the book called again? It's called Michael Jackson Conspiracy. Right, and that's available on Amazon.com, right? Yeah. So there are, there's a link in there and a password in there to uh, get to my website and put in a, a a password that allows you to see two videos that are very revealing about what really um, was in Michael's heart and what the jury foreman thought and what um, Tom Ezra Paul Rodriguez thought. Right. Yeah, Paul Rodriguez. So. Uh, you know, if anybody's interested, I'm going to run a sale on that book. Um, I'll start it probably tomorrow. I don't know technically how long it takes to put a sale into effect, but I'm going to reduce it down to 4.99. It's an ebook, and people can download it and get access to those videos and get access to the color photos. So I'm going to do that starting tomorrow. So if anybody's listening and wants to check it out, I would love to hear your your responses, um, MJ fans, about what it is that's on there because it's a little bit of a bold move that I put those videos up. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's 2018, everybody. What do you say to the person that still believes that he there are and there are plenty that he was that he was definitely guilty without a shadow of doubt. They don't bother to read evidence. They don't bother to read the, the uh, paperwork or nothing like that. What would you say to somebody that has this plain view of Michael Jackson, and that's who he is, and that's how I'd say, why don't you watch those two videos that I? Why don't you watch those two videos that I posted that show you how the jury foreman says he can sleep at night because they did the <laughs> right thing? Or why don't you look at the? Why don't you look at the facts that I, I wrote an entire book about? Or watch Michael himself speaking about how he feels about children and, and think twice about, you know, making judgments. Um, especially in this case where this family of grifters, the Arvizos clearly were out 
for money, and they were grabbing at everybody and anybody, including Chris Tucker, George Lopez, Jay Leno, and the list went on before they got to Michael Jackson. So, you know, you have to look at everything, the totality of it, before you can just make blanket blank uh, you know, she was charges. running the train, though. I Excuse believe, me? right? The mother, Janet Arvizio, was running that yeah. train. Yeah, she was running. She was running that show. She went to Larry Feldman, which was uh, Jordy Chandler's lawyer. She didn't go to the police. She went to the lawyer. She wanted money. She used the same playbook from the original '93. Accused of people have said yeah. uh, Larry Feldman. Very a lot of similarities uh, in that one. That's a great book. Uh, uh, you've been all over with that book, right? Yeah, it's it's been translated worldwide. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm saying as a result of that book, you've been all over the country, right? Italy. Oh, um, you know, the world. Yeah, yeah, I have. Right. I've traveled around the world because of MJ fans with that book, and I still ask to go uh, travel to Europe. I mean, in Europe, you know, the people just absolutely love Michael Jackson to death. Um, and I'm sure the ten ten year death anniversary next will, year, uh, next year yeah. this June will yeah, definitely bring it back to light. Yep, I'm going to do something. I'll probably. So I want to you get know. your take on this thing called it's it's trending now, Spirit Day. You familiar with that? No, I don't know what it is. Okay, it's Spirit Day is an annual. I'm reading this from Wikipedia. LGBTQ Awareness Day that observes the third Thursday in October. It started in 2010 by a Canadian teenager, Brittany something. It was initially created in response to a rash of widely publicized bullying-related suicides of gay students in 2010, including that of Tyler Cemente, and it's promoted by GLAAD. Mm-hmm. Observers wear the color purple as a visible sign of support for the LGBT youth and against bullying and National Bullying Prevention Month. I think that's fantastic. So that's yeah, I think that's right. fantastic. I mean, I I didn't I wasn't aware of it being called Spirit Day. Um, yes. I'm. I'm a little, I think, behind the curve as to what's going on in the gay community at the moment. I'm, I'm busy media. working on, on something else. I'm not big on social media myself. I, I go on occasionally. I'm not, I'm, I don't sit on it the way people do. Um, <laughs> but I really don't. I, I should. I know I should. But it's just not, it's not, uh, it just seems to, for me to be too much. I, I don't know how else it's to put it. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. I just can't, yeah. I don't. You know, I, I I just can't eat, swallow it all. It's too much. I don't need all this information. I'm talking about even for my friends on Facebook. I don't want to know all this stuff. I I, can't, I just can't right. do it. It's just overload, and I can't focus on the work I'm doing. You know, to be overloaded with this stuff all the time. It's just I I, I don't know. That's just me. But um, I know I'm in the minority when it comes to that. Um, having said that, I don't know. well, I, I think so. That. I, there, well, there's I don't groups know. that agree with you and there are groups that uh, just stay with the social media. I don't think you even have an Instagram account, right? No, I don't. 
I don't have an Instagram. I, I I don't even know what that what that would do. For, no. I don't understand what that does for people. What does it do? You post. I, I don't understand. You post pictures and videos and. Uh, yeah, well, I don't want to do that. People that are in the, the sales and marketing themselves. I guess that would help yeah. from a marketing standpoint. Well, I get, uh, you know obviously I probably should market myself more, and you know <laughs> perhaps one day I'll 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 get get into that. But at the moment. Maybe it's I'll help just, you put it together if you want. There you go. I would appreciate that. That'd be great. I just I don't know how much I'd engage in it. You know, I just um very gun shy when it comes to uh Twitter and Facebook and all of it. I just I you know, when I was when I covered the Casey Anthony trial, I tweeted every day, morning to night from the courthouse. I didn't know about it. I didn't want to do it, but I was, you know, forced into it because that was the only way to communicate out of the courtroom. And I was a huge tweeter. And that was great because people loved to get the information about what was going on with that this trial. This is 2011, right? Mm-hmm. So it's seven years ago. You'd think I'd be with it by now. But you see, right after the trial, when it was over, I never wanted to tweet again. You see. Oh, really? So, yeah, uh-huh. you don't tweet that much. Mm-mm. I noticed on your no. Twitter page there there was a post about Kimberly Gorpa, uh Kimberly something. Park. Guilfoyle, yeah. Um, if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But I did notice it was from from the summer. I didn't realize that was the case. I didn't know that uh, she was accused of those things. Well, I mean, you bring it up, so I'll mention it. You know, she she was let go from Fox News, and it's somebody who I've known for many years. I knew her from the dog morning trial Court in TV. San Francisco. Right. Yeah, I knew her from before Court TV. And hmm. um, she is a allegedly was in support of Roger Ailes and, quote, Team Roger. Um, Team Roger. And she allegedly made promises to certain people if they came along on Team Roger that, you know, she could help them get shows, which she couldn't have done. But I don't put that past her because knowing her as I did, um, mm-hmm. She's very, very manipulative, and she likes to use her feminine wiles to get where she goes. Um, that is the old school world of women before you know women had any power. But there is a lot of power in feminine wiles, and so you know, uh, here she is now with Donnie Trump. I mean, what what can we say? You know, she's a gold right. digger who uh, was digging her way up from. All, of all things, being married to Gavin Newsom, who's the most liberal of all politicians, perhaps, in the country, or one of them, to now being with the son of the most conservative of all presidents that we've had in recent years, you know, Donald Trump. So, you know, this is a power-hungry woman, and uh, I wanted it to be noted that she was not on the side of the Me Too in any way, shape, and form, no. and and uh, you know, I thought that 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 others might be interested in in just hearing that, um, only because I know her right. so well, and I know how she's able to disguise herself, kind of like um, you know Eve in the garden, and uh, <laughs> I just wanted to put put it out there. Uh, no question, and that uh, she was also uh, an enemy. To say the least, of Michael. Um, oh yeah, oh yes, Michael. of course. But I mean, that yes. wasn't it. Had no bearing on on whether or not. I I just found it interesting that she was behind the scenes trying to help somebody who I could I knew was 
sexually harassing women at Fox News. Others have come out with it. Gretchen Carlson got a huge lawsuit, you know, uh, payment from it. Um, you know, th- this was real. And I met Roger Ailes and I saw for myself what this was about. And yet she was there supporting him in every way she could. She wants to be with the old boys team. And that's, to me, says a lot. Um, and I don't want to paint everyone at Fox News with that brush because that's not fair. But I right. certainly find her to be an unusual figure in the world of Me Too. One that, you know, deserves to be noticed as somebody who really doesn't get it. Doesn't seem to get it right now, and uh, with the Trump thing and everything, it's uh, pretty wild stuff. So I want to get into this uh, Chris uh, Watts case. It's trending and a very trendy story. Uh, here is the, the details of it. So for the sake oh, wait, of I didn't audience. answer you about Spirit Day. I didn't answer you, and I want to say oh, something okay, about I'm Spirit sorry. Day. Go, go over right there. Yeah. First of all, I think it's great that there is a day. I didn't know it, but now that I do, I will definitely, um, you know, reach out and post Uh it so that because, as you know, I wrote a book called All She Wanted, which chronicles, which I then changed and reissued as All He Wanted, which chronicles the murder of a female transgender person named Brandon Tina. And I dedicated that book to Brandon. Um, that was back that 25 was years ago. So wow. this is something and that I have had close and near and dear to my heart before the word transgender was a word in our vocabulary. That happened in 1993, before the word was a word in our vocabulary. So, you know... Um, so that word existed only uh, into the area of 1993? Yeah, it didn't no exist. Trans- it didn't exist. In 1993, there was no word transgender. I think internationally it was used, but not in America, as I looked it up when I I rewrote the preface. They they called them transsexuals because medically that's what the the condition is. And I actually went to a medical school to study it because there was no way for me to get that material and understand it. And I had to go to the University of Kentucky Medical School and get get approval to go in there into those medical books so that I could understand it. Because 25 years ago, it wasn't something that people talked about, and it wasn't something that people thought was real. And, you know, people thought that Brandon Tina was a transvestite. I mean, it's just very, very backward um, to the public. So when you ask me about Spirit Day, I'm thrilled to hear it. Um, I feel that there's so much more work that needs to be done because, yes, there's a lot of bullying of of gay people, but in particular transgender people who truly are misunderstood by so many people in our society and really suffer more than we can guess. And, you know, the Bruce Jenners of the world that are now the Caitlyn Jenners of the world, those people are far and few between, you know, the Chaz Bonos of the world. Most transgender people really is a young person jazz jennings yes 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 i am jazz and and that's a great example of some a a new wave in thinking however the transgender people i've met with and have talked to from back then and 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 until even the coming out of caitlin jenner really do suffer and don't and are not accepted and don't feel a part of the world because they are so tortured 
being in a different body than what they, you know, physically than what they feel they are mentally and emotionally. And it, I can't imagine the the the, uh, the sadness that they suffer because I know they tell me this, but I can't I can't empathize with it because I don't experience it. But yet through having chronicled a murder of somebody because this person was a transgendered person, it 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 uh, it opened my eyes to that world a long time ago. So. Yes, fantastic. I will wear a purple ribbon on the third Thursday of this month. Absolutely. That's great. Okay, so uh, yes, uh, here is a summary of the Chris Watts case. It's outdated, but uh, it has all the information. Then I want to get your take on it. It is a horrific story that everybody's talking about with new information every single day, somehow making it worse than the day before. And even though it didn't happen here in Minnesota, all of you have told us you want to know more about what happened in the state of Colorado. What happened in a family that left a pregnant mother murdered alongside her two young daughters at the hands of their father, of that woman's husband? What in the heck happened? I spoke with a reporter following the story daily in Colorado to ask him that question. The story of how Chris Watts wound up in shackles and his pregnant wife and two daughters found murdered began eight days ago. On August 13th, Shanann Watts, Chris's wife, came home from a business trip. Hours later at five that morning, Chris left their home for work. Hours after that, when Shanann and the kids can't be found or heard from, they are reported missing. By Tuesday, August 14th, a search begins. We're missing some people out of the neighborhood, a mother and her small children. And on that same day, Chris Watts begs Colorado on television to find his family. It just seems like I'm, I'm living in a nightmare and I can't get out of it. I just want them home so bad. I have no idea like where they went. And it doesn't, it's just earth shattering. I don't feel like this is even real right now. 24 hours after that, Chris Watts is at the police station. Investigators are pressing him. We go to reporter Jeremy Hohola to explain what happens next. I get the sense reading the affidavit they were kind of pre- you know pushing him like what happened here, what happened here, what happened here. His father was there at the police department with him, and in the affidavit he says, "All right, well let me talk to my dad and then I'll tell you what really happened." And the way the affidavit plays out, after he spoke to his dad, he came back and then essentially told police in summary, "Yeah." I strangled her, but I strangled her because I was enraged because she strangled our daughters after I asked for a separation. So that's how Watts winds up arrested and in court today facing five counts of murder. But that story he is telling that his wife was the monster and he just reacted is not being believed by many people in Colorado. Uh, nobody believes this guy. His credibility is already shot, at least within the public uh, public eyes to imagine how Coloradans or anyone could after, again, Chris Watts spoke freely a week ago asking for help to find his family, knowing when he was talking that he killed at least one of them, if not all of them, and buried their bodies. I just want them people to know that I want my family back. Like, I want them safe and I want them here. He was telling everybody, like, I don't know where she went. I'm, I, this is my worst nightmare. But when you watch him in these interviews, he was just so almost cavalier about it. In addition to that, 
Chris Watts is accused of having an affair, one he denied repeatedly to law enforcement, but one law enforcement says they have proof of. So in the end, what you have is a man who was accused of cheating on his wife, lying that she was missing, and then saying he only killed her because she killed his kids. Okay, Aphrodite, uh, have you followed the story? And if so, uh, gruesome one, what's your thoughts on it? Of course I followed it, and Jordan, I have to say that first and foremost, um, my heart bleeds for Shanann. Um, yes. Whatever it is that this man did to her um, is is horrifying. I mean, she was killed in in cold blood. He admits to it. He was cheating on her. He told her he was leaving her. Clearly, there was some kind of argument. Probably she wanted to leave with the children. I'm just guessing. But the real tragedy here beyond that is that now this man has come up with a a story that right. defense attorneys will bring into court and try to uphold. Create the reasonable doubt. Right. Correct. That Shanann, as a mom of a three and four year old, killed her own children in a rage over losing her husband. And that to leave that legacy, to try to pin that legacy, or if you call it a legacy, I don't know what you really call it, on this on this mother, um, is is unforgivable in every way and any way. And the idea that if this man, Chris Watts, let me put it to you this way. If he actually had witnessed his wife strangling one of their kids, he could not have overpowered her before she strangled another kid? Exactly. Number one. Number one. Number two, And I'm not saying it's because of a man over a woman. If it was a mom with it watching a dad, your adrenaline kicks in. You you could overpower the other person. You can't be killing two babies at the same so that's number one. And he was in the house from the time she got home. He never left and this and that. And he, so his story doesn't jive. Number two, I think he changed it to him when he came home. They were already dead. You know, he's changed stories a lot. But number two, if you came home and saw your children dead or you got home and watched, as he said, her killing the child or has already killed one child, now killing another child, and you're watching instead of overtaking that woman and trying to save your child, and it happens your next reaction might be that you want to kill that that spouse, okay, who's now a murderer. I can I can get with that, I, I guess. If you're in that moment, you can't mm-hmm. you can't know what you might do. You'd be and out out of your mind. But then, but the problem is what he said immediately is that you know he wants to know what happened and you know his lies at the beginning. Well, over the other power. problem. Yeah. The other problem is, Jordan, why wouldn't he, if he killed her in a fit of rage that was a reaction to murders that she committed, then call 911 the second it happened and report what she did and what you did in response to it right then. You don't take your babies and your wife and go dump the babies in an oil vat and then – put your wife in a shallow grave on some, you know, remote location where you worked 
and then sit there for three days pretending that you want to help everybody in the state of Colorado help you bring them back. This sounds, you know, a little bit like a Casey Anthony, though, because yes. the problem Especially is going the to be were, uh, yeah, where the babies well, were wound up. And her well, baby wound not, up. not just that, but she, she was calling out for the world to, you know, help her and, you know, the parents were and, and, and you know, find the baby and da-da-da and the nanny has it, all this stuff. Now, in this case, the reason I say like a Casey Anthony is not so much that, but it is when the jury gets this case and they start hearing scientific, um, you know, experts, forensic experts, giving you all these possibilities and the fact that the DNA is not going to be able to be found on the girls because the oil that they were put in and for three days soaking in oil and the fact that but DNA really doesn't matter because it can't prove who, which of the two actually strangled these children when you're able to determine an autopsy that they were strangled if that was the cause of death. And I'm presuming it was. I don't know that it was. This is what this guy says. We don't know whether we can believe anything out of his mouth, but... I, I, you know, who knows? I don't think they would have been shot and stabbed. We'd have blood in the house. So, I mean, I, you know, I just think that a jury can be very waylaid and can, for instance, in the case of Casey Anthony, decide that they can't, they can't come to the conclusion that absolutely this person killed his children and that he didn't act in a fit of rage based on the wife killing the children. It depends really on what goes on in that courtroom and the experts who testify and what the police are able to gather because just because he had an affair, as they said in the Scott Peterson case, doesn't make him a killer. I still have people who argue to me that Scott Peterson could be innocent. I mean, this to this day. I have people arguing well, to me that Michael Peterson is innocent to this day. I mean, oh. it's frightening. Michael Peterson, the, the subject of The Staircase on Netflix, I wrote a book about him. Oh, okay. There's another Peterson, too, right? The the cop? Isn't there another Peterson? No, no, that was Drew Peterson. That was that was another Peterson. Drew Peterson. Well, there's too many Peterson. Yeah, this is (laughs) another Peterson. Yeah, I wrote a book about it, a perfect husband, and and now Netflix has this series out called The Staircase, and it's uh, it has people very interested in. This guy's innocence and the, invested in it, and it's it's frightening to me because I interviewed the guy in prison. He was convicted of murder. He got out on a technicality, and now people are trying to tell me that he didn't kill his wife. An owl flew in and pecked his wife to death. And literally, this is what they're telling me, and they're arguing with me about it. And I'm thinking, have we gone completely bat wing nuts in this country? What is happening? So. <laughs> Seriously, an owl. I mean, you know this this kind of stuff. So I don't know how I got off on that, but I, what I oh I know from Chris Chris Watts. All I can say is, you know, as much as everything circumstantially points to him having done this, and points to him probably having flown into a rage after he told her that he had he wanted separation, or supposedly, or she found out he was cheating, whatever which way it went. And he he went for her or for the children, or she went for the children and said, you're not going to have them. And he said, no one's going to have them. And somebody killed him, and it was probably him, but he's going to say it was her. How are you going to prove that in a court of law? How are you going to disprove it? It's It's tricky. uh, It's very tricky. And, again, my heart goes out to the mom because 
at the end so of the day, he, has, he well, he has admitted that he killed Shannon. So right. we know, so we know, we he's, know he's, he's a murderer. But now he wants to stain his murdered wife with the, uh, you know, the legacy of his horrendous violence, which is to say that supposedly she's a murderer. And it's it's just beyond. It's beyond. It's like it's like the owl theory in the Michael Peterson case. For those of you who've watched the staircase and know the book and the story, um, it's it's just it's so unfair, so un it's so not right in any way. Um, and I just have to hope and pray that he doesn't get away with it and that no matter what he gets put away for a long time for the murder of his wife. Do you think that'll happen? Yes, I do. I mean, the, the, the feeling is that there are, there are some group pages that say uh, his name, um, uh, Chris White, is innocent, and uh, well, there's groups. Yeah. 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 Well, again, this is why I say, you know, we, we've gone a little bat, bat crazy, but um, at the end of the day, common sense does prevail, I think, with the majority of people. I think the majority right. of people are good. I think the majority of people want good and right things for this country and everyone in the world. And, um, you know, I believe in truth and justice. So I'm going to go with that. And, you know, to those moments that we have an O.J. Simpson that seems to get away with murder or we have a Michael Peterson that seems to get away with murder or we have a Casey Anthony that seems to get away with murder, I say, you know what? Most most people know the truth in their hearts. They have to live with the truth in their hearts. Um, right. But you can't fool the public. You can't fool common sense. You can't fool the hearts of a nation. And and that's that's really my answer to it. You might walk out Good of the on. courtroom free, but you won't walk out off this planet free if you if you commit that kind of horrendous act. So. You know, my answer to it is it's going to be a tough case. It's going to be a very, I think, a wild ride with the media. Um, but at the end of the day, he's going to go away. He's going to go away for as long yeah. as I can possibly put him away for. Uh, that will be an interesting case. And, you know, I see a lot of these 48 hours, 2020, and just like that, uh, he doesn't look, quote-unquote, like the guy who would do something like that. And uh, you see that a lot, right? I'm sure you've seen yes, a lot of people. Yes, 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 yes. Well, of course, that's that's the thing about why there's so much interest in uh, true crime murder stories is because it's never the boogeyman. It's actually your husband or your neighbor or your cousin or your uncle or somebody that – or your wife or your sister or somebody that you never suspected in a million years that is capable of doing something that we all think we're not capable of. Right, right. I mean – that's why these crime shows, uh, Law and Order SAU, are very popular, I guess. Um, yeah. Your show. Um, uh, you having your show uh, renewed? No, I'm working on a new concept. You're working on a new concept? Mm-hmm. Okay, any information yeah. on that? or? Not yet. I'm, I, I have a book being released in... Um, Early um, 2019, it's a re of A Perfect Husband, um, which is the story I was just talking about with Michael Peterson and, and reaction to this Netflix phenomenon, Netflix phenomenon called The Staircase. So it's streaming um, on Netflix now? 
Yeah, it is. It is. And What's then the I also title? It's called The Staircase and it's uh, under the, you know, documentary genre. And it's very interesting because it has interviews with the killer um, all throughout, and it's told from his perspective. So it gets you believing that you know he's really innocent, and it, it takes you on a ride that I don't want to I don't want to blow it because I think people should watch it. But I, I I do wonder how it is that anybody can come away thinking that this guy is innocent. Um, in any event, no. um, so I have that coming out. I'm working on another book at the moment. And I am also uh, working on a new TV concept that could potentially be a streaming concept. So I'm going to see. Might just make that leap over into the new century after all, Jordan. <laughs> you might go with the social media after all. No, I might um, just have to do go, it. I want you to tell the audience um, about the guy in Chicago where you did a lot of the investigating. Uh, I believe he was in jail for a crime he didn't commit in Chicago. Tyrone uh, Hood? Can you share that? Right. You want me so to talk about one... Tyrone Hood now? But is that the one uh, that, that yeah. aired on the ID network? Yes. Yeah, it did, yeah. But what, do you, you, what do you want me to say about The basics of uh, how you came to it. I think it's a, uh, an amazing story, like... Uh, Okay. You know, I'll try to I'll try to sum it up for you, but it's just you're throwing a curveball at me because Tyrone Hood is a big story, and I don't I hate to just reduce it down to not, you know a, a right. little comment. It is on YouTube for the, for the sake of people if they want to read up on it. Obviously, Google it. But if you could just mm-hmm. give a short summary, and the people that are interested, Google it or YouTube it. Okay. Um. Yeah, I did an episode for True Crime on ID that um is about a man who was convicted falsely of murdering a young boy, a young basketball star in Chicago. And um, ultimately, in part because I did that story and in part because the governor lost his race that year, um, I was able to see Tyrone become freed and able mm-hmm. to go back to Chicago and actually film with him once he was a free man, just days after he was released. How many from, years did he spend? I think it was, was it 26 years? Yeah, you, you know, so I'm saying oh you're asking God. me something that I haven't thought about or, or looked at now in, in, a, in, in a couple of years. Over 20 years, for sure. Wow. I think, I think it was 20 wow. years, maybe 22 years. I it, I've I'm actually been dealing with a lot of people that are falsely accused of and in, in, in prison. I was working with the Innocence Project, so you have to forgive me because there's so many people in that position, and there's a lot of cases that I've been looking at lately with people in for 26 years and 22 years, and you know, it's just it gets jumbled in my mind. But in any event, um, it turned out that the boy's father um, is a murderer. The boy's father was the last to see the basketball star. However, the boy's father, who is in prison for a separate murder, will not admit to having killed this child. So it's very, very um, contorted because Tyrone Hood cannot get a certificate of innocence. He's been um, released but not fully exonerated. Oh, really? Yes. So he cannot – he has yet to receive this particular thing uh, which has to happen, which is uh, some kind of stamp, a certificate of innocence and exoneration. And without it, you can't sue the state. 
So there's a holdup because many of the states that oh are now God. having all these, oh, yeah, that are having all these cases come forward with new DNA evidence and whatnot and are able to, people are able to prove their innocence, they are being released from shackles, but they are not being given that stamp to say that the government did them wrong. Hence, the government doesn't have to pay them and recompense them millions of dollars for their lives being ruined and all the years they spent in prison. And Tyrone Hood, I know, is in that position. He was when I last spoke to him. And I know that it's an uphill battle, so I try not to, you know, go back there too much because I see it all the time now. And it's it's so disheartening because really at the time that he came out of prison, I was so elated and everybody thought that this was going to, you know, the, the, this was the greatest thing that I could have ever done in my career. I was so elated that I had even a shred to do with it and then come to find out that, no, he's still labeled as a felon and he can't, you know, he can't sue the government and he can't get any compensation. Can't have a normal life. Him. Right. Can't have a normal life for all intents and purposes so, right um, now. It's, can't even probably it's, get a job, right? Well, it's difficult. I don't know what he's doing at the moment, but he also had to face a new world because, you know, when he was in 20-some-odd years ago and came out and there's iPhones and iPads and Internets and everything, none of that existed for him. So all of that was another, yes. you know, a lot of shock. And, you know, his his mother died when he was in prison. His kids grew up. I mean, it's very, very tough. And I often think about him, and I, I want to reach out and call him, but I know that if he had been given that stamp of that that innocence stamp that he needs, I'd read about it, and I haven't. I've looked up, you know, looked it up here and there, and I, I just I'm too heartbroken, really, to uh, to 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 talk to him and hear that you know he's still fighting the battle with the red tape. So um, I pray really for him. Really, he's not behind in the in the cage anymore. No, and he was in the cage when I met him. So, you know, right. I, I mean, I interviewed him in prison, so I saw him come out. But you know what? It's not always just about that. So and I'm not saying when, it's about the money. I'm saying it's about giving him a fair justice. shake. Yeah. In that case, it's yes. not about the money. It's about the money. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to be compensated for those 20-some-odd years taken away from him. You can never get back. There's no amount of money that... You, not even $32 million could pay me back for that. No, right? I don't think there is a dollar. I mean, you could make a case that, you you know, you could live in the street and be better off than living oh, in uh, that jail. Would you give 22 years of your life up for $30 million? I wouldn't. Not a shot. I mean, not a chance. To answer that not, question. Like, you don't have to think about it. I don't think anyone out there would ever think have to think. I mean, <laughs> maybe the la- maybe okay, maybe the last years of our lives we'd give up. <laughs> if we can have the money now, we can give up from uh, eighty to one hundred. In advance, right? Definitely. Oh my God! <laughs> All right. Well, listen, neat. Jordan. I hope I was. Thank you so um, much. Not too talkative. No, you're fine. And uh, just want to remind the people, your book, of course, uh, they're excellent reads. They're New York Times, number one sellers. And, uh, yeah, you know, whoever wants to take crime, a look, go to my website. It, yeah, I, I really do hope that – Jordan, take a look at that uh, Michael video if you haven't. I think you'll find it very interesting. It's one of them, yes. Yeah, no, no the, the second one is the one. 
Okay? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we'll bring you back uh, soon. It's always a pleasure, Jordan. You're really a great mind and a great person to talk to, and I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Speak to you soon, after 30. Okay. Good night. Good night. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that was the great uh, Aphrodite Jones. She's been on the program about since 2014. She's been coming on. Uh, great person. Uh, if you Google her or if you uh, go to um, Aphrodite's, uh, if you put it on YouTube, Aphrodite Jones plus OJ plus Scott Peterson, you'll see uh, her stories that aired on ID um, plus Michael Jackson. A lot of good stuff uh, for that. So uh, let me give a shout out to my friend Mary, um, my friend Skyler. Uh, let me give a shout out to uh, Maddie, um, Richie, Joey, Scott, um, Pager, Sharon, um, Richard Herman will be here on, let's see, the date will be November to November 8th, the week from my uh, birthday, but that's not there or here. So, uh, interesting conversation. We learned a lot about Miss Jones, at least. Uh, she opened up about uh, her story. Um a phenomenal uh, show. If you didn't hear the show in its entirety, um, depending if you're listening live at the moment, you could uh, uh, start the show over by uh, waiting 20 minutes till the show is over, then uh, click the link. So we have Richard Herman, November 8th. Um, I'm going to try to do more episodes. Also follow us on Instagram at King Jordan Radio and uh, Twitter King Jordan R A D and Facebook.com forward slash King Jordan Radio. So we spoke a lot about Michael Jackson today, and I'm going to play you uh, one of the songs that he covered. It's a beautiful song. It's Throwback Thursday. Here is Smile. Good night, everybody. We'll speak to you next time here on King Jordan Radio.
Yeah.